uh, if you are watching live right now, or maybe you're watching this after the fact or listening to this podcast later, I just want you to know we appreciate you making the time to make the summit a part of your day. So no matter where you are or how you're joining us today, thank you for worshiping with us. I pray that God blesses you, and I'm sure he already has. Um, let me share a couple things with you real quickly before we move forward. Today, following our 11 a.m. worship experience, we are hosting a small luncheon or a brief luncheon called a membership encounter. And membership encounter is for people who have been coming to the summit for a while. Uh, you've, you've basically made it your home. You've gotten plugged in serving someplace. Maybe you've gotten involved in small groups. You maybe have started giving to the summit, and now you're ready to take the next step and become a member. Uh, today is for you, uh, following our 11 a.m. worship experience. Now, this is the thing. If you became a member of someplace like uh, the Country Club here in Indiana, what you would do is you'd sign up, you'd pay your dues, and then they would tell you what your rights are. And they would say, here's what you get as a member of the Country Club. Here's everything you have access to. And, and membership at the Summit is a little different than that because we don't talk about rights as much as we do responsibility because we feel like when you become a member of the Summit Church, you have responsibility. You have a responsibility for this body. You have a responsibility for your community. You have a responsibility for your uh, office, for your household. And so we want to help you in your responsibility. And so it looks a little different because some churches, they say, hey, uh, if you want to vote on stuff, become a member. And that's not what the driving force is behind membership here. We want to help you grow in your faith and become everything that God has called you to be. And we want to help you reach your community and reach your family and reach your neighbors. And so that's what membership is really all about. So if, if that is you, like I said, if you've gotten involved already and you're already serving someplace, then stick around following our 11 a.m. worship experience for our membership encounter. I also want to let you know, uh, if you're interested in going to Haiti with us on our World Reach mission trip, uh, the deadline for applying for that is uh, Tuesday. So since it's leap year, you got an extra day this year. But um, Monday is the last day you can apply for that. You can apply on our website, summittogether.com missions. And feel free to fill out that, that application. If you've got questions, you can see Steph McCoy. She'll be around following the worship experience today. also want to remind you... Um, a couple things that are really important coming up. Number one, um, we've got our Easter egg hunt, and some people go, what is the big deal about an Easter egg hunt? But it's a really important opportunity for us to serve our community and for us to bless our community. And uh, it's going to be, it, it probably will be fairly cold. It's going to be on March 19th. It'll be 1 p.m. Last year, we hosted it at Mack Park. And so we had, I think, 20 or 25,000 Easter eggs at Mack Park just spread out. They weren't even hidden that many eggs. You don't hide them. You just put them out in the field. And so we had over 2,000 kids show up. It was a great day, lots of families. Uh, but what we decided is, what if we did two locations instead of one? Maybe it would help with some of the congestion, some of the lines, some of the things like that. And so this year what we're doing, instead of one big hunt, we're doing two big hunts, which seems really smart. I don't know why we didn't think about that earlier. So anyway, we're doing two massive Easter egg hunts. One is going to be at East Pike Elementary, and one is going to be at Ben Franklin. So one is literally just around the corner from us at Ben Franklin. The other one is on the other side of town at East Pike. And I want to encourage you, whichever location you live closest to, that's the one we want you to go to. Bring your friends, bring your, your neighbors, everybody that, that, that you know, bring them to that site. Because both of them are going to be virtually identical. We're going to do great things at both sites. Um, and if you're interested in helping and serving with that, get with Steph McCoy. She can help you get plugged in. But there are invites like this one all over the place. Take them with you. Take a stack of them with you. Invite everybody you know, uh, your, your neighbors, your coworkers. Send them in your uh, kids' lunches to pass out to their friends at school. Whatever you need to do, we don't care. So make that happen. But that's coming up on uh, March the 19th. The following weekend then is Easter. And on Easter weekend... We're going to have five worship experiences. So we're going to do two on Saturday night and three on Sunday morning. And the Saturday night services will be at 5 and 6.30. Then the Sunday morning experiences will be at 8, 9.30, and 11. So if you are normally a 9.30 attender, I would really encourage you, please come to the 8 a.m. that day. Because we're going to see, we're expecting between 1,800 and 2,000 people that weekend here at the summit. And we're going to see lots of people who are, and I want to say this delicately, a friend of mine called the, calls them creasters. They come at Christmas and Easter, and that's it. So some of them are going to come out of religious obligation just because they always do, and that's what they do. And they aren't even expecting that that day they're on a collision course with the God of the universe, that they're going to have an interaction with God, and it's going to change their lives. And so we want to make it as easy as possible for people who don't normally attend here to have an experience with God. And so we want to make sure they've got lots of parking. We want to make sure they've got as much space in here as possible. So please, please, please mark your calendar and plan on coming to the 8 
a.m. service that day or, or think about coming to maybe the, the 5 p.m. on Saturday night. Because, again, we want to make as much space as we possibly can for guests so they, we give them an opportunity to come to know the Lord. So that's Easter, Easter weekend. The following weekend, I'm really excited because we've got Marion Jones with us. She is an Olympic uh, track star. Uh, she played in the WNBA. She's going to be with us Saturday night for our 6.30 p.m. worship experience. And then she's also going to be with us at 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11 on Sunday morning. So invite everybody you know for that weekend. We want to get them here. I'll be interviewing her, talking about her story, because uh, it really is an incredible story. So be here that weekend, but bring as many people as you can, because uh, it's going to be a great story. We want them to hear about that. Also want to mention to you, uh, a lot of you know we've been on the search for a couple of pastors. Um, uh, our kids pastor and youth pastor both recently resigned, so we've been hunting and looking and trying to find the right fit and the right people for those roles. And uh, I'm excited to tell you that uh, just a couple days ago I extended an offer to a man and his wife to come join us and uh, become staff. So uh, they will be joining us here in just a few weeks as our youth pastors, and so I, I'm pumped about that. They're going to be a great fit for us and for the church. And uh, yeah, two people are really excited. So, so we'll, be, we'll be introducing you to them shortly. Um, I, I, I mentioned their name last night, and then I found out afterwards she has not quite resigned to her company where they live in Lancaster. And so she, she was like, oh, I haven't given my notice yet. So... Um, it's better to give notice than it is to get fired. So anyway, um, I'll be introducing you to them here before long. Uh, but if you've got teenagers, make sure they're here Wednesday night. On Wednesday, um, we're gonna, I think we're going to have a brief video introduction from them to be able to introduce them to our teenagers. And like I said, they'll be here in just a few weeks. So I'm excited about that. Also want to let you know, as far as the kids' ministry goes, we're still on the lookout. In the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be presented with candidates. Uh, I'm going to be able to look at a bunch of resumes from some great candidates from throughout the United States for our kids' pastor position, and, uh, and we're closing in on that, and uh, it will be soon. So I'm excited there. But I do want to let you know, even since the beginning of the year, our kids' ministry has grown. So even without a kids' pastor, our kids' ministry has gone up to over 250 kids on a weekend. And... Um, Sometimes you get overwhelmed with your two kids, right? <laughs> so imagine what our kids' workers are dealing with every weekend when they've got 250 or 260 kids. And I would strongly encourage you, if you're here and you have never uh, found a place to get plugged in and serve, um, I would love for you to get plugged into our kids' ministry at least for a season, at least for a window. Maybe you say, hey, I can give one weekend every other month uh, for the next few months. I can do that. We would love for you to be a part and help give us some breathing room back in that area. Because as our church has grown, as that ministry has grown, our, our volunteers in that area has not kept pace. So I would love for you to just uh, don't even pray about it. Go fill out an application. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, you think I'm kidding. I'm not. Uh, there's, there's more things to do than change diapers. There's all kinds of things besides teach. So that we'll find a place for you, I promise. Get plugged into our kids' ministry. Uh, today we are finishing up our series called Deadly Viper Character Assassins. And it's been an incredible series. I've been uh, so grateful for what God has done through this series. A couple weeks ago we had 23 people um, and over the course of that weekend make decisions for Jesus or rededicate their lives to the Lord. Uh, but since the beginning of the year, we've seen over 100 decisions for Jesus. So 100 people have been saved or rededicated their lives. And I love that. I love it because God is at work and God's doing big things. So we're finishing this series today. Um, really over the course of this series, what we've done is just identify the fact that we know God is real. But we also have to understand that the enemy of our soul is real, that there is a devil, and he's not got the red horns and the pitchfork and the goatee. That's not what he looks like. The scripture tells us he comes to us as an angel of light. He's very subtle. He's deceptive. And what he does is he will come against us, and he is ultimately out to destroy us. He's out to take away your character and your family and your reputation and your job, and he wants to take you apart brick by brick until you are torn down until you're destroyed. But he doesn't just come and punch us in the face. He, he does it very carefully and very subtly. And so the last few weeks we've been talking about the assassins that our enemy sends against us to try to destroy us and what that looks like. Because when we can identify the assassins that are out to get us, we can identify the ways that we can safeguard our lives and protect ourselves from those enemies. So we've talked through um, the assassin of, of amped emotion and character creep and, and um all these different things that come against us in our lives and what that looks like. And so today we're going to finish up with one uh, that 
it's a little difficult to talk about at times because uh, we're, we're going to talk about the, the character assassin of pride. Um, because pride is something that a lot of people feel like they don't have. It's kind of like greed. People never say they're greedy. They'll say things like, well, I'm not greedy, I'm just frugal. Or I'm not greedy, I just, I just pinch pennies, right? But at the end of the day, it's kind of like, well, you might be greedy. Um, but we just don't like to say that. And a lot of times people won't say, I deal with pride. But we will identify it as something else that looks better. Because really there are two forms of pride. There's a good pride and there's a bad pride. And the good pride we have is connected to our dignity and self-respect. And we should have a sense of pride when it comes to who we are and who God has created us to be. But if we're not careful, that, that pride can also fuel a sense of superiority that reeks of conceit and arrogance. And we've all known people like that. We've all known people that you just didn't even like to be around because it was all about them. It was all about their life. Um, you couldn't even have a conversation with them, could you? Because they didn't reciprocate. You'd ask them a question and they'd monologue for 20 minutes. And they'd never ask you a question. Well, how's the kids? Oh, my kids are great. And they'd talk about how awesome their kids are. And it's because they've trained them from a young age and they've done all this stuff. And, but they never ask you a question, Right? Those, those people are hard to have conversations with. Those people are even harder to have relationships with. And here's some symptoms of a prideful heart. Difficulty in maintaining healthy relationships. Uh, and one of the reasons this is is because we tend to look down on people. Now, we won't say that we look down on people, but in our hearts we know. We judge people pretty quickly. Oh, where do they drive? Where do they live? Uh, what, kind, what kind of job do they have? Oh, all right. I get it. And you judge them based on that. You judge them based on what they dress like, what they look like immediately. And it makes it really hard to have healthy relationships. So people that have pride issues typically have a hard time maintaining healthy relationships with the people around them. And again, uh, if you don't seem to be able to maintain those relationships, a lot of times we'll blame others. Well, it's my boss's fault. Or, well, it was my ex-wife's fault. Or, well, it was my kid's fault. Or, well, uh, it was my in-laws. They just hate me. But maybe the problem is not everybody in your life. Maybe the problem is you. Because maybe you've got a problem with pride. I knew you'd love this message. So difficulty in maintaining healthy relationships is one of the symptoms. Another symptom is difficulty in sharing the credit. So when we have a win, when something good happens in our life, it's because we deserve it. Because I've worked really hard. Because, uh, man, you know, I put in the hours, I put in the time, and I deserve it. Well, Maybe the other people helped you be successful. No, 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 no. I'm a self-made man. I've done it myself. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, right? And we take pride in that. And we've got to be careful because, again, it goes back to that thing where we said um, it can be connected to dignity and self-respect, but if we're not careful, it crosses over to the place where it fuels that sense of superiority. We also have a difficult time accepting the blame when we struggle with pride. It's always somebody else's fault. Well, yeah, I got fired, but my boss hated me. Well, yeah, I wasn't starting quarterback in high school. My coach was a jerk. I could have gone all the way. I could have played in the NFL, but my coach hated me, right? Well, maybe you just weren't a very good football player. I don't know very many coaches that don't want to play the best player. So maybe he hated you, or maybe you just weren't as good as the other guy, right? But pride blames everyone else and doesn't accept any of the responsibility. That's what pride does in our lives. And the last thing, and there's a hundred more, but I'm not going to list them all. The last thing is, ultimately, just like we have difficulty in our relationship with others, we ultimately have difficulty in our relationship with God because we have a hard time worshiping God because, again, we like to take the credit for everything when we're prideful. Well, yeah, I work hard. That's why I've got a great house and a great wife and a great home because I deserve it because I've worked hard. Oh, yeah, yeah, God, God deserves the glory, sure, sure, God deserves the glory. But, I mean, really, he had a lot to work with with me, right? That's kind of the way people with pride approach it. And, and, and when we see this, this is, um, and we'll talk about this, this is an affront to God. And ultimately it leads to us being able to go through the motions because people with pride issues can go through the motions with the best of them. We know when to raise our hands, when to sway, but just because we're raising our hand doesn't mean we're truly worshiping. Just because we're going through the motions doesn't mean we're truly worshiping. And so a person that has pride issues, a person that's unteachable, a person who thinks they're the smartest one in the room, ultimately has problems worshiping in spirit and truth. So I want to share a story with you today. <clears throat> the story we're going to look at is about a guy named Uzziah. And he was a king of, Jeru uh, king of Judah uh, around 780 B.C. 
And you might have heard his name before in the book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah said, in the, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He's, this is who he's referring to, is King Uzziah. Um, King Uzziah took over for his father, who died. His father was Amaziah. His father was killed. Uh, and, and as a 16-year-old boy, Uzziah became king of Judah. And now, um, does anybody remember what you were like when you were 16? I thought I was a lot smarter than I actually was. Does anybody remember when you were 16 you thought you were the smartest person? My parents were dumb. They won't let me go out and stay out till 2 in the morning. Those people are stupid. Why won't they let me do what I want? Well, it's because you're 16 and you're a moron, right? <laughs> like, let's be honest. I was stupid when I was 16. I did stupid stuff. I had no rationale for my life and what I was doing. Now imagine if as a 16-year-old somebody said, hey, guess what? You get to be president of the United States. Woo, right? You think our candidates we have right now are bad. <laughs> like, Wow. Let's roll up a bunch of sophomores in high school and see how they do. <laughs> you, you think the debates are entertaining now. Let's roll up some hormonal 16-year-olds and see how that goes. It might not be too much different, actually. <laughs> but this is where they were. Uzziah was thrust into the role as king as a 16-year-old. And this is a recipe for disaster, isn't it? You would think this is not going to go well at all. But let's take a look at this story. So it's in 2 Chronicles. If you want to turn there, you can. If not, it's going to be on the screen. But in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, it says this, verse 3. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother's name was Jechaliah. She was from Jerusalem. And this is talking about Uzziah again. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. Now, Zechariah was the high priest at the time, so he came along, the 16-year-old king, and tried to teach him and lead him spiritually so he could mature and develop. But even as a 16-year-old, I think he recognized the fact that he was unable to do what he wanted to do. He was unable to lead this country, lead these people in a way that could glorify God. And so he basically said, I need some help. I can't do this thing on my own. What an incredible sign of humility from a 16-year-old to go, okay, I don't know what I'm doing here. Because I know a lot of 40-year-olds and 50-year-olds and 16-year-olds uh, that would never say, I don't know what I'm doing. I need some help. But this 16-year-old boy said, okay, I need some help here. And, and we see that he was helped by the Lord. He was instructed in the fear of God, and as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. And this is so important to see, because even as a teenager, he recognized, I need God's help. That any success I have is going to come from the Lord. It's going to become, uh, come from his goodness, not because I'm the king, not because of my title, not because of my authority, but because God is good and God is merciful. So he was taught from a young age that that's where success comes from. Zechariah molded him and shaped him in that to understand those things. If you read on, and we won't read it all, but if you read on from verse 16 through verse 14, it details all the successes that Uzziah had in his life. Remember, he reigned as, as king for 52 years. And so verse 6 through 14 details and chronicles all the things that happened because when he took over Judah, Judah had been defeated by their former countrymen, uh, Israel. So Israel and Judah had split off into different countries and different kingdoms, and they had been at war. And so Israel had come in and tore down walls and destroyed things and, and taken uh, all their gold and treasure from the treasury. They had done incredible things, incredible damage to Judah. And so when Uzziah came in, this wasn't exactly a picture of health in this nation, but he comes in and he begins restoring walls and building up the army and doing all these incredible things. He's taking back ground for his nation. He's winning battles, and he is gaining esteem in the world. People begin to know who he is because he is leading his people so well. So 6 through 14, it chronicles that. It talks about all the incredible things that Uzziah was doing and how God was using Uzziah for his glory. But verses 15 and 16 really tell the story, so let's read that. 2 Chronicles 26, verse 15, it says, in Jerusalem, he made devices invented for use on the towers and on the corner defenses so that soldiers could shoot arrows and hurl large stones from the walls. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. Now, this is really important. Now, remember, we see that 
that God was using him and God was helping him as long as he depended on the Lord, God was blessing him. And it says here that he was greatly helped and the, the, the reference is that he was greatly helped by the Lord until he was powerful. So when things started going well, things turned for him. Verse 16 says, but after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God, and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. A couple things I want us to look at. First of all, uh, you go, what was the big deal about him offering uh, incense on the altar of incense to the Lord? Why, why was that a problem? Well, we were in the old covenant here, and so there was strict laws about intermediation. So the people could worship God, but they needed the priest to make intercession for them to connect with God. And so at this point, under the law, he could not offer worship to God in that way. It was only reserved for the priests. The priests were the only ones who could do what, what Uzziah was trying to do. So what we see here is a man who decided, because I'm king, because I'm important, because I've got authority, because the people know who I am, because of all these things, I deserve to do something that's reserved for the priesthood. He said, I deserve it. And remember, we've talked about this last couple of weeks in, in, in passing, but when, when we are about to make a sinful decision in our lives, we justify it, right? We, we say, well, I, I deserve it. I've been working hard, so I can, I can cut some corners in the office, or I can, I can skim a little bit of money here, or I can leave early, and I can, I can do this stuff because I deserve it. And, and Uzziah was the same way. He said, you know what? I'm, I'm the king. I know I'm not supposed to offer incense on the altar of incense. I know I'm not even supposed to go in there, but I'm the king. I deserve it. I mean, look at what I've done for this, this nation. Look what I've done for these people. I, I deserve it. So he was justifying his actions. He was saying, he, he was saying, yeah, the rules don't apply to me. Do you know anybody like that? Who says, no, the rules don't apply to me. And this is where Uzziah was at. See, what happens a lot of times in our lives and this is a cycle we see over and over, and not just in Scripture, but even, even today, even in our church, I've seen this. <clears throat> we see in the Old Testament, especially in, like in the book of Judges, uh, or, or even back further, when the nation of Israel was leaving captivity out of Egypt and going to the Promised Land, we see this, this, this cycle over and over and over, where um, things, God will work, and things are going well, and the people celebrate, and they worship God, and then when things start going well for them, they... they they get kind of hardened and calloused, and they stop worshiping God, and they start worshiping a false god. Their, their, their devotions, their, uh, their attention is diverted somewhere else. And so all of a sudden, things start going bad, and God allows them to go into captivity. And then they realize how bad things are, and they go, oh, yeah, God, things are bad. We need your help again. And God has mercy on his people. He'll swoop in. He'll rescue his people, and, and things will be going good for a while. And then people get hardened, and they, their attention and their their, their Love is diverted somewhere else. Does this make sense? So we see this cycle over and over and over again in Scripture where this happens. But it happens, it happens in our church, too. We'll have people that have been here long enough now to see this. We've had people that will come through these doors. They'll have an, a powerful encounter with God, and they'll get plugged in. They'll get going, and their lives will be changed. They'll be recovering from drug or alcohol addiction. They'll be recovering from just crazy life circumstance, and God's doing a work in their life, and then things seem to be going well, and all of a sudden they just drop off the face of the earth. And then we'll see them three or four or six months later and be like, man, what is going on? We tried calling you. Where have you been? And go, well, you know what? I had some issues there, and I thought things were going well, and man, I got, I got back with that old crowd, or I started doing this, or I started getting involved in some, some things I shouldn't. So what do they do? And they come back and go, okay, you know what? This is it. This is real. I'm following God. And so we see this cycle perpetuating itself over and over and over in people's lives. And we have a choice to get out of that cycle if we want, but it takes us breaking down our pride and saying, I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore because you know what? I need help. Because usually what happens is when things go well, we go, you know what? Things are cruising along pretty easily, and I'm, I'm going to take my foot off the gas. I can take a break now. I, I don't have to go to church as often. I don't, I don't need to be in small group anymore. You know, some of the relationships, godly relationships that I've been in, I can neglect those. It's not that big a deal. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I can hang out with some people that are, that are lost. I'm, I'm doing it for the Lord. I'm trying to witness to them, right? We justify our action, and before we know it, we're someplace we don't want to be. 
And this is where Uzziah was. If you would have told him as a 16-year-old boy, hey, someday, someday you're, you're going to sin against the Lord. Someday you're going to be unfaithful to the Lord. He would have thought you're crazy. He would have thought I'll never get to that point because I love God too much, right? But here he was. And it's interesting because Scripture tells us he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. One of the worst things I could ever have anybody say to me is that I was unfaithful to my wife. That's why we put such strict guardrails up in our lives to, to protect me from that. I don't ever want anybody to say I was unfaithful to my wife or family. But how much worse would it be for someone to say that you were unfaithful to God? This is where Uzziah is. He was unfaithful to the Lord. See, pride, if not submitted to the Lord, always, uh, is always followed by disgrace every single time. So Uzziah went to the temple to, to burn incense, and, um, and the men of God chose to try to stop him. See, pride always, um, always leads us to believe that we deserve something that isn't ours or we deserve what we've got. Um, the word unfaithful in this passage is translated from a Hebrew word. It's ma'al. It's M-A apostrophe A-L. And this Hebrew word, it literally means an affront to God's holiness or a failure to honor God for who he really is. And this is what pride does. It begins to diminish the stature of God and it elevates our stature. So what happens is we don't see God in the right light. We don't see him for who he really is. And so what it does is it, it diminishes him and it increases us. We begin to think we don't need God anymore. We begin to think that uh, maybe I can do this thing on my own. Maybe God isn't as helpful as we once thought he was. And ultimately, it's an affront to his holiness. And it's a failure to honor God. See, um, Uzziah ultimately wasn't giving God the honor that God deserved because of his pride. He was choosing to, to worship God in a way that, um, that God did not allow. God gave Uzziah his position and his title and his authority, but at the end of the day, Uzziah came to believe that he deserved it. He came to believe that he had earned it on his own, when it was just not true at all. This is what it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verse 17. Azariah, the priest, with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord, followed him in. So get this picture. He goes in to offer the sacrifice, and uh, and Azariah, who was the high priest, and 80 other courageous priests. And the reason it says courageous is because he was the king. He probably could have had them put to death if he had wanted to, and nobody would have blinked much of an eye. But they, they followed him into this place. In verse 18 it says, They confronted King Uzziah and said, It is not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful, and you will not be honored by the Lord God. Now, this is not them being territorial, saying, Hey, that's not your job, that's our job. Back off. Like, they weren't being petulant. They weren't being kids about this. They were trying to protect their king. They said, King, you are not consecrated for this role, for this responsibility. We've been prepared for this. And you are in, you're on thin ice by doing what you're doing. They were ultimately trying to protect the king. But again, this is what happens. Pride makes us believe we're the smartest person in the room. I, I tell young leaders a lot um, that if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. You need to surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. They can help you. They can develop you. They can help grow you. Mark, is that my... Is that my manly beard that's getting in the way? Here, give me the handheld. Ultimately, ultimately, pride leads us to believe we're the smartest person in the room. And this is where Uzziah was. Uzziah looked at the men who were trying to help him. He looked at the men who were trying to guard him and protect him. And he thought, you are out to get me. You don't know what I know because I'm the king, Right? And pride refuses to believe anybody could be smarter than we are. Anybody could help us. Anybody could grow us. And ultimately, it led to Uzziah being backed into a corner. Now listen to this. In verse 19, it says, Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand, ready to burn incense, became angry. So here he was, confronted with this opportunity to repent, confronted with this opportunity to humble himself and say, you know what, guys, you're right. This is, this is not lawful. It's not right before the Lord. You're right. I'm sorry. He could have done that. He had the opportunity, but he didn't. Instead, he got angry. While he was raging at the priests in their presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. 
when Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, they saw that he had, a, had leprosy on his forehead, so they hurried him out. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. So this is the picture of what's going on. He's standing there. He's ready to burn the incense. He's got the censer that's ready to light this incense. And just as he's about to do it, he's raging at the priests. Do you know who I am? Do you know what I could do to you? I'm sure he's threatening them. And in this moment, a holy, righteous God says, you think you're in charge? Let me show you who's in charge. You think you're powerful? Let, let me show you who's powerful. You, you think you have authority? Let me show you who has authority. And he gave him leprosy. Now, if you don't know what leprosy is, it's a bad deal. We won't get into all the medical science of it. But basically, it's, it's, a, it's a disease that eats away the flesh. It corrodes it. It destroys it. And he, he got leprosy, which was one of the worst things you could get, especially in biblical times. And he didn't just get leprosy. He got it on his forehead. Do you think that was an accident? Do you think God said, ah, just wherever? No. God said, I'm, I'm going to prove a point to you. I'm going to put it on your forehead where it can't be hidden, where it's going to be on display for all the world to see. Everyone is going to know what you've done here. He got it on his forehead. Now, we have to understand our God is a loving, generous, forgiving God. But he's also a, a righteous God as well. He's a God of, of righteous judgment. And he was not going to let Uzziah get away with this. He couldn't. His righteousness couldn't let it happen. So he passed judgment. He, he, brought, he brought condemnation on him. Because this is, this is one of the problems. Because he had leprosy, he was unable to worship God. He was unable to fulfill his obligations as the king. He was unable to do what he had dreamed his whole life of doing, what he had been doing his whole life. And this is what I want to read to you in Galatians chapter 6, verse 3. It says, if anyone thinks they are something when they are nothing, or when they are not, they deceive themselves. Last week we talked about the, the deadly uh, character assassin of self-deception. And this kind of bleeds over into that. Because we see here, when our pride builds us up and it diminishes who God is, what happens is we have this false notion of who we really are. We deceive ourselves into thinking we are something when we are not. See, Uzziah deceived himself. You're the king. You're the man. No, nobody, nobody can overrule your authority. You can get away with whatever you want. You deserve it. And he justified all of his actions. Listen to this. Second Chronicles chapter 26, verse 21. It says, King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous, and banned from the temple of the Lord. Jotham, his son, had charge of the palace and governed the people in his land. So this is what happened. Because King Uzziah's unfaithfulness to the Lord he, he got leprosy, and because of his leprosy, he couldn't, um, he couldn't be around other people because he was, he was sick, he was contagious. So as a result, he was put into a different palace, and you're like, well, he's still in a palace. But yeah, he couldn't be around any of his family or any of his friends or any of the people he cared about because of his condition. And because of that, he also couldn't rule. So he was still king, but he was like a puppet. He was just a figurehead. Jotham, his son, governed and led in his place. But beyond that, because he was ceremonially unclean because of his condition, he couldn't worship God. He couldn't offer sacrifice. He couldn't offer sacrifices for, the, for his own atonement. So there was a spiritual separation between he and God as well. And this is what pride does. Pride divides us from the people and the things we love the most. It drives a wedge. It, pro it prohibits us from being able to have healthy relationships with the people around us. It prohibits us from ultimately being able to have a healthy relationship with God. Listen to this passage of Scripture. We're going to cover the book of James this summer. I'm excited about it, but let me read a couple verses to you. This is James chapter 4, and this is verse 6. It says, it's talking about God, but it says, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So this is, this is the picture you should get. When we have a prideful heart, God gives us the stiff arm. He pushes us away and goes, no, 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 thank you. I don't want any part of that. He opposes us, not just that he won't bless us, but he is, he is actively opposing you in your life. That's problematic. It goes on to say in verse 10, listen to this. 
Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. See, in the world we live in today, we have, we have convinced ourselves that the way we get ahead is by muscling our way to the top. We elbow, we, we shove, we play dirty if we've got to. We do whatever we need to do to get ahead in life. That the only way we're going to advance ourselves is if we advance ourselves. But what Scripture tells us very plainly is if we will humble ourselves, if we will allow ourselves to be diminished, then God will position us. See, some of us work so hard to position ourselves, so hard to get ahead, so hard to get that corner office, so hard for people to think highly of us, that when the time comes, God can't position us because we're too busy positioning ourselves. We've worked so hard to build our kingdom, God can't build it for us. But when we say, God, you know what? I can't do this thing on my own. I'm not good enough or or smart enough or talented enough. God, I need your help. God goes, I I can work with that. I I can elevate you. I can position you. When you have a humble heart, God works in that way. See, God responds to true humility. Listen to the last part of this story. This is so sad. Verse 23. It says, Uzziah rested with his ancestors and was buried near them in the cemetery that belonged to the kings. For the people said he had leprosy. And Jotham, his son, succeeded him as king. Now, now listen to this. Uzziah died, and he was laid to rest with the other kings who had preceded him. But at the end of the day, his legacy was he had leprosy. All the incredible things he'd done. The the way he had reclaimed territory for his nation. The way he had done incredible things. He had built the army. He had built their wealth. He had expanded their boundaries. He had built war machines. He had done all these incredible things. And his fame had spread wide throughout the world. And at the end of the day, what people remembered him for was his pride because he had leprosy. How could his story have been different? What what could have been different if he would have just humbled himself and said, you know what, God, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. I shouldn't be acting this way. I shouldn't be doing this. Forgive me. How could his story have been different? Because we serve a forgiving God. We serve a God who who is not just willing to forgive us, but he is anxious to forgive us. When we are walking away from the Lord, all we have to do is turn, and he's there because he's following us all the way. Did anybody ever run away from home when you were a kid? I did one time. I had a stick with a handkerchief, and I filled the handkerchief with underwear. I tied up the stick, and I was walking down the road. They're going to forget about me. They don't love me. You know what happened? My mom came riding her bike down the street. What are you doing? Running away from home. Why? Nobody loves me. She probably let me go after that too. Like, all right, go ahead. But she pursued me. That's what our Heavenly Father does. You, you might be running away from God. Your pride might be taking over your life. But do you know what? All you have to do is humble yourself and turn and say, God, I need you. And he's right there. Do you know why? Because he's pursuing you. He's chasing you. He's following you all the way. There's a couple questions I want to ask you. And I want you to ask yourself these questions as well. How do others really perceive me? How do others really view you? Ask yourself that. Do I listen to others? Do I really listen to others? Or do I just hear them? Am I open to learning from others? Not just people that I perceive as better than me, but maybe people that I perceive as less than me. Do I show gratitude to those who helped contribute to my success? This is a big one. When was the last time I admitted that I was wrong? If you can't remember the last time you admitted you were wrong, you might have a pride issue. When was the last time that I said I'm sorry? If you don't remember the last time you said you were sorry, you probably have a pride issue. And then this one might be the most important. How often am I the first one to say I'm sorry? Maybe you're somebody who you'll say you're sorry, but only after the other person does. That way you can win. I've been there. I've done that. 
Ask yourself these questions. Because what these questions do is they turn over some rocks in our life. And it's not pretty what we find underneath those rocks in our souls. But it's really important. If you've got a pride issue, humble yourself before the Lord. This is the thing. If we don't humble ourselves before God, ultimately he will humble, uh, he will humble us for, him, uh, for us. He'll do the work if we don't. It's much easier for us to humble ourselves than it is for, to wait for him to humble us. So I want to encourage you, humble yourself before the Lord today. Acknowledge how much you need him. Acknowledge the fact that, that any success you've had in your life is from the Lord. Humble yourself and let him, let him position you. St. Augustine said this, it was pride that changed angels into devils. It is humility that makes men as angels. When we humble ourselves before God, he can do the work that we can't do on our own. Let's pray. God, we love you. And we're so grateful that you're a God of second chances and you're a God that pursues us. And so God, I pray right now, those of us in this place that deal with pride, God, I pray that you begin to, to break down our pride. Lord, undo the work that the assassin of pride has done in our lives, God. I pray that you begin to humble us and allow us to humble ourselves in this place. I pray that um, we'd respond to your Holy Spirit here. Now, if you would, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask you if you're here today and you say, Mel, you know what, I'm not really serving God, but I want to. I'm tired of the struggles I've had in my life, and I just I want to turn control of my life over to the Lord. Maybe you don't feel like you're dealing with pride, but ultimately you're, you've wanted to control your life. You've wanted to navigate it. You've wanted to be the boss. And today you say, you know what, I'm going to humble myself before God. I need his help, and I want to give my life to the Lord. I want him to rule my life. I want him to navigate my life. And I need his help. If that's you, I'm not going to make you come forward. I just want to pray with you right where you're at. So if you're here today and you say, I want to make Jesus Lord of my life, I want to I put him in the driver's seat. Would you just put your hand up real high where I can pray with you? Thank you. Down here in the middle section, you can put your hand down, ma'am. Thank you so much. Who else would join this one? Thank you, ma'am, up in the balcony. Who else says that's me? Pray for me. Thank you. I see your hand over here on my right, sir. Awesome. Anyone else? Thank you. Over here on my left, sir. Awesome. Praise God. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else want to join these and say, that's me. Pray for me. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life today. Thank you. Back here on my left by the sound booth. Praise God. This is what I'd like to do. I want every person in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, just repeat a really simple prayer after me. So whether you raised your hand or not, say this prayer boldly out loud. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. I give my life to you. Use it for your glory. I humble myself before you today. And I'm asking you to be the boss. Lead my life. Be in control. And take me wherever you want. I am yours. Thank you for paying the price for my sin on the cross. You are my Lord. And you are my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, come on, let's celebrate with these today. Thank you, Lord. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer, a couple of things we need you to do. Um, real simply, we want you to fill this card out. It's in the seat back in front of you. Fill the card out, drop it in the offering boxes before you leave. There's two right here. As you're going out these doors, there's one up in the balcony as well. So fill this card out. Let us know about the decision you made and then drop it in one of those offering boxes. What's gonna happen is we're gonna follow up with you and help you figure out what your next steps are. We wanna help you uh, in your spiritual journey become a disciple. We want you to grow in your faith. So please fill this card out. Let us know about your decision today. Um, also, you can sign up for baptisms out in our lobby at the Info Center. Stop by there, sign up. Uh, we would love to celebrate publicly with you what God is doing in your life. So sign up for baptisms. And also we've got a group called Starting Point. Uh, Pastor Dick is currently leading that group. It's for anyone who's new to their faith or wants to grow in their faith and just take some steps in the direction of God. So this is what you need to do. If, if you raised your hand and said that prayer, or maybe you didn't but you should have, go do that. Those are your next steps. Fill that stuff out. Go sign up. Get connected. We want to help you in your journey. Stand to your feet all over the room. We're going to worship together one more time as we do our prayer teams on either side of the stage. If you need prayer today, you come find one of our prayer team members as we are worshiping together.
Guys, I love you so much more than you know. I'm so honored I get to be your pastor. God bless you. great series.
good reminder for us. God is still working in us and working on us to accomplish his purpose. And that he desires our best. And so, uh, God, help us. Help us, God, to have the same character and the same mind and the same heart that you had. We might reflect who you are to the world around us. Amen. A couple of quick reminders go. Uh, water baptisms, we have our next one scheduled for April the 9th and 10th. Uh, those are always, always such a great time. I love seeing people be baptized and celebrating what God's doing in their lives. So if you have begun following Jesus recently, you've raised your hand in the service and you've not been water baptized, uh, this is a commandment that Jesus commands us to follow him and to be baptized. It's the public declaration of your faith. And so I want to encourage you to do that. You can sign up for that out in the lobby. And then, as we've done every week for this series, there's a fortune cookie that you can grab on your way out. It'll just have a little tidbit from today's sermon in it. You can, you know, keep that, post it on your refrigerator or put it in as a bookmark, whatever, something to remind you uh, of what God is accomplishing in us. And then, as always, thank you so much for your faithfulness to give. Uh, God is doing tremendous things. Uh, It's exciting what's coming with our building, but... More exciting than that to me is just the numbers of people that their lives are being changed by what, by the gospel, you know, here and around the world. And so thank you for your faithfulness to give. Please continue to do that, and we will continue to do our best to be faithful to see that it goes to bring the gospel to bear on people's lives. Let me pray for us, and then we'll go. Uh, God, we thank you for your love toward us and your generosity toward us through Jesus. God, we thank you that you emptied the treasure of heaven so that we might be saved, so that we might display your glory. And so, God, I pray that in response to what you have done, that we would do everything within our power to proclaim the glory and the wonder of Jesus. So, God, as we bring our offerings today, we pray that you would bless them. You would bless those who give today. God, I pray that bless those who are unable to give today. Uh, God, I just ask that you would help us in every way to live generous lives so that every life might be made different. In your name we pray, amen. Love you guys. You're dismissed. Have a great week.
You're right.